I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome back, everyone, to the Playing Footsie podcast. Uh, I'm, we're back this week uh, with me, Paul Briscoe, Steve D, and Steve W, to fill you in with all the week's stock market news. This week, we've got lots to do. We've got uh, Steve W's game. We've got uh, the market just... Uh, going down one day and back up the other day my portfolio has been all over the place uh and uh how have you guys been doing this week i bet it's been pretty rough and ready for some of you yeah it's been an interesting sort of week paul um it was of course black friday so stuff went on sale uh, as you would expect and if you're a value kind of minded investor and you're price sensitive like i am uh, you have to kind of take your opportunities when you see them. Uh, so if you see stuff at a, at a price you like, you need to be ready to kind of go when you when you see that. So I've been buying uh, this week. Uh, I've bought a phone because my one's basically broken. And I've bought a coat because uh, my one got nicked at the weekend. And I've bought some gloves because they were in the coat that got nicked when it got nicked. Um, and I've also bought some stocks as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, my portfolio was down quite a long way. It's, um, it's Thursday today and things have actually come... Uh, screaming back actually quite well. I spent most of the week watching Stone Co go uh, up and then down again in the same day to finish sort of slightly lower than when it uh, when it opened, having given up a kind of eight percent gain and a six percent gain and a few other things. Um, but things are recovering kind of okay at the moment. And I guess we had a kind of timely episode with Tom Morgan last week, uh, telling you to stay in your seat when things uh, start turning against you in the markets a little bit. So an interesting week here. Yeah, I've had a fairly interesting week as well. So I trimmed a little bit of my Amazon position, which had run up quite a bit, and I used it to um, to buy a bit of Salesforce. I bought um, a little bit more Allbirds, which is a stock I quite like at the moment. I bought more Teladoc because I'm a fool. Um, and like Steve, I also spent some money on Black Friday. I bought a mattress and a TV. Um, so, so yeah, not bad really. Um, Good week, though. I mean, it's been an interesting week. There's been loads of stuff happening. I think um, the we've talked about it before on here that we really like the Cedars and Crowdcube um, merger, and we thought that it was really, really short-sighted that they were not going to... Uh, they, they got blocked by the regulator, and along comes Republic, another US company buying another um, British company at a knockdown price, and uh, and this one looks like it's going to go through. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Is that of interest to you? Not to me in particular, uh, because I've never used Caesars or Crowdcube, but it is interesting to see just how much uh, of America is buying the UK at the moment. We were talking earlier just off offline about some of the stocks we might even see being bought by other UK, uh, by other US companies, uh, ASOS and Boohoo looking like they've got their arse up in the air for a good pound in. Uh, so hmm. it's... Uh, yeah, there's a, it's it's quite sad. We we come we come back to this every every sort of week, don't we? It's it's quite sad uh, that the US is just buying the UK at the moment, and eventually we're just going to become their little slaves. So um, yeah, looks let's let's go for the future, guys. 
How's your week been, Paul? Has, has your ass been up in the air for some pounding? <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it, it, it has, actually. Th- thank you very much. I've been getting a great pounding. Um, the, uh, yeah, my, my week... Uh, has been has been pretty good. I traded the tent out for a spa, so I've been in a spa for the week. But I've I've ended up with uh, basically this this horrible cold. Cold. So I'm uh, Barry White in it again. I've probably got COVID. Probably caught it off you. Uh, so I don't I, I don't I don't know what I've got at the moment. But buying stuff. If we're all just talking about things we've bought, I haven't bought any stock. Uh, mainly because I haven't got enough money at the moment to to buy any stock, but I, I will be looking at stuff because there's a lot of stuff on sale at the moment. But uh, buying things this week uh, on Black Friday, I think I bought some Entenox uh, for anybody <laughs> that doesn't know what that is. Uh, that's gas and air. I've just got that in my car now, uh, just just for my own fun for having a party on the weekends. And um, uh, I'm I'm looking at some other things. Uh, you've got the Google Pixel Six, and I'm thinking about getting that at the moment. Uh, but I'm, I, I think I'm a bit anchored actually on the on the Google Pixel Six because you bought them with the Bose headphones, and uh, I that 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 offer's now run out, and I'm kind of like, well, I'll just be bu- I'm going to be buying my Google Pixel for double the price of Steve D if uh, I have it. But that's 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 my own <laughs> that's my own personal life. We're going on a bit too far. Let's talk about stocks. Let's get back into it, and let's get back to. Uh, everything for the week first we're going to play the steve w game this week uh because we all love playing a bit of the game what we got mm, yeah right so that's quite enough about paul having caught something after having his ass up in the air for a pounding while he was right. working in spa <laughs> in a spa not in spa but oh. yeah um uh <laughs> anyway uh, this week i started running desperately short of uh game content this time so uh, I, I instructed Steve to download a kind of scraping sound for the idea of me coming up with this game. I'm actually quite pleased with the way that I've managed to wrap this up and make it look like I wasn't really running out of ideas. Uh, so we may or may not use that this time out. Uh, but here's the game this week. The game this week is called Too Big to Succeed? Question um, mark. So one of the things that I was listening to, Spotify tells me that the thing I listen to the most in terms of podcasts is unbelievably not this show. Uh, it is, in fact, the Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholder meetings. One of the reasons I spend so long listening to them is that they go on for ages. Uh, and ages and ages and ages, so you have to spend quite a lot of time listening to them. But at this year's Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholder meeting, Warren Buffett put up a list of the 20 biggest companies by market cap from 1989. Uh, and his point he was making is that most of those companies are no longer the biggest market cap companies anymore. Uh, most of them are in Japan and so on. Um, so I had a nice look back through the history of the S&P uh, and looking at what was the biggest uh, company. Uh, it's recently changed hands, of course, from Apple to Microsoft. Uh, and I thought I'd play a game based around that. So here's how the game works. Um, you pick a number between 1 and 10. Um, I will tell you a year and I will tell you four companies. And all you have to do is tell me which one had the biggest market cap of the S&P in that year. Uh, nice and straightforward. Ooh. Uh, I will tell you some stuff about the year because I had to research something for this podcast and I don't know anything about Salesforce. Uh, so that's where my research <laughs> went for this week. Um, Paul, lead us out. Pick a number. Uh, number one. And it'll be ExxonMobil. Number uh, number one. <laughs> well, a couple of things in that case. One, it won't be ExxonMobil because they don't actually exist in this year yet. Um, yeah, but the year is 1991. Um 
so just so you know what's going on here, the Five a Day campaign has been launched, a Cold War is ending, uh, and Rage Against the Machine have been formed. So think about what you were doing around that time, uh, unless it involves having your ass up in the air again. But um... <laughs> oh, Yeah, probably. I was like five. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> having it wiped okay, or something, um... I don't know. <laughs> At five. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I'm just trying, to, just trying to think of something funny in there. Bitty. Hmm. <laughs> okay, Paul. Uh, which of these had the largest market cap on the S&P in 1991? Uh, AT&T, uh, your favourite large company. Uh, Exxon before it became Exxon Mobil. Uh, Philip Morris, the tobacco uh, company. This is, by the way, pre-Altria split. Um, uh, and Walmart. Ooh, that's uh, it's uh, it's got to be somewhere between Exxon and AT and T. So I don't really, not really sure here. Um, I'm going to go with AT and T. Bad luck, Paul. <laughs> it was a guess. <laughs> uh, it was, in fact, Exxon uh, ah. in this case. So, uh, yeah, even before their kind of uh, merger with Mobile to become Exxon Mobile, more on that story in a little bit. Um, they they had the large market cap in 1991. Steve, pick a year for us. Lucky number seven. Lucky number seven. Okay, lucky number seven is the year 2002. Any idea what was going on in 2002, Steve? Um... Market cap People were still crying into their pensions. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. I mean, elsewhere in uh, things that were going on, Halle Berry was becoming the first black uh, woman to win the Academy Award for Best Actress. Um, ben Affleck was winning Sexiest Man Alive, and Paul Briscoe was coming second in that competition. Mm, um, but, yeah. Which, <laughs> I remember um, it well. <laughs> <laughs> Which company had the largest market cap uh, out of the following? Um, so General Electric, mm-hmm. uh, Johnson & Johnson, Merck, mm. and Microsoft in 2002. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Um, it's not Microsoft. No, I don't think it's Microsoft either. Um, but Johnson & Johnson, perhaps, Merck. Mm. What was the first one, Steve? Uh, the first one was uh, GE. GE. Oh, I'm going to go with GE, because GE was a bit of a monster back then. I think GE's probably... Yeah. Oh, GE was pretty big in 89. No, I'm still GE. I still think GE's the biggest. Yes. Mmm, well played. Merck second. Merck could be second. I didn't, sorry, I didn't finish. Uh, that was oh. well played, Paul. Um, oh. You successfully <laughs> told me it's not Microsoft. Microsoft was, in fact, the correct answer. Oh, for, uh, ah. for this one. <laughs> Ow! What, even in 2002? Wow, that's amazing. Yep. More on this story in a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, pick another number for me. Uh, number three, please. Number three. Uh, the year is now 2000. Um, and, well, lots of things are going on in the year 2000. But the first Big Brother has been launched, one of the most important developments in human history. Uh, the Millennium Dome, as was then, uh, opens. And Charlie Munger celebrated his 273rd birthday. <laughs> um <laughs> Paul, but which like of the these had the... It's like a big tent. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I've ever actually been there, you know. I'm, I'm not sure. I might have. Uh, so which of these had the largest market cap then, Paul? Um, pre-bankruptcy Citigroup. Um, this is going to be so hard. This is going to be so hard. General Electric uh, or Walmart? <clears throat> it's going to be so... 
I mean, what? It, it depends what day in 2000 as well, because you get the wrong day and it, Cisco will be oh, okay. uh, number the one. The end of it. The end. Uh, oh, God. Mm. Uh, so it won't be Cisco. Um, might be Cisco. Uh, General Electric. We'll go with General Electric. Paul is correct. Yeah. Point for Paul. Yep, General Electric, uh, largest market cap then. Of course, lots happened to General Electric since then, which is sort of one of the things I was interested in when I was looking at this. Uh, kind of what's happened to these companies since, both in terms of their kind of general placement in the S&P and uh, their sort of market cap as well. And General Electric has really struggled uh, sort of since its, its glory days. I won't say kind of where they start and finish because that might be relevant to a different part of this game. But General Electric, of course was historically absolutely enormous and did basically Ooh. everything. I mean, there was a point, I think, they started trying to start a bank or something uh, at one point, which goes you know, quite a long way from being a sort of industrial conglomerate, which is what we sort of know them as, I guess. Hmm. Uh, Steve? Well, I've just realised I wasn't listening to the number Paul <laughs> said, so this is going to be fun for me. I think okay. 10. 10 is not the number that Paul said, you'll be pleased yeah. to hear. Uh, the year is 1981, Steve. Um, okay. This is quite a while ago now. So the Yorkshire Ripper's being caught. Poland's entering martial law. Uh, and the first London Marathon is happening in uh, okay. 1981. Which of these has the largest uh, market cap then? Uh, Paul's favourite AT&T. Uh, Pre-mobile merger Exxon. General Electric again. Uh, or General Motors. Oh, that's interesting. But I don't know the answer. Um, it's a long six minus six. I was in eighty one. Um, a bit like the weather yesterday. Um, <laughs> I'll go with. Let's go with General Motors. Why not? It is not General Motors. Bad luck. <coughs> um, it was in fact AT and T this time. That was when AT and T was the hot thing, uh, rather than the kind of what we now know it as uh, steadily at thirty, unless there's a market correction. <laughs> um, paying about an eight percent dividend or something like that. Uh, okay, number, Paul. Number nine, please. Number nine. The year is now two thousand and three. Um, lots of things are happening in the year two thousand and three that kind of resembles now. There's a SARS crisis that's coming out of China. Uh, the Human Genome Project has been completed, uh, and I suspect Steve D is giving away his full set of Pokemon cards. Um, <laughs> But what was at the top of the S&P at this point? Was it ExxonMobil? Was it General Electric? Was it Johnson & Johnson? Or was it Pfizer? It's mad, isn't it? It's, there's, there's, I know there's a point late, early in the 2000s where Pfizer like, makes its way up and then it just disappears again. Uh, it had, I'm sure it had one year where it was at the top. And you're a sneaky fox, so I'm going to say Pfizer. <laughs> uh, all of that is true, apart from the bit about it being Pfizer, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, uh, this one was also General Electric actually but Pfizer uh, so all the names I've mentioned for all of the years have been uh, in that top 10 one way or another and Pfizer you're right does have a bit of a run around that point and um, I was reading today it's doing pretty well again in terms of uh, at the level of being a business and Pfizer's actually one that's done pretty well since um, it's okay it's not in the kind of top 10 anymore but it's made perfectly good progress by itself it's just some other stuff has really raced up and passed it and kind of um, surpassed it at the top of the S&P. Uh, Steve? Eight. Eight is also not the number that Paul chose that you've forgotten. Good. Um, so the year is indeed 1998. Um, which of these is now at the top of the S&P 500? Okay. Tech company Cisco, 
Mm. Tech company IBM. Mm. Tech company Microsoft. Or not a tech company, Pfizer. Oh, this is horrible. This is like run up, mm. run up city. Mm. I think, I think I'd be tempted to go with either IBM or Cisco. And I think, I think I'm going to go IBM. Uh, yeah. Paul, you sound like you 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 have something to say here. I I think it's IBM. I think Cisco made all of its money in its last two years. Uh, you might be right about Cisco. You're not right about IBM. Oh, Neither right. of you. Uh, this was the year that Microsoft took over from uh, GE um, yeah. with its market cap. And of course, Microsoft since then, this is actually quite a while ago, right? We're going back to 1998 uh, for this uh, thing. And this is one of those things where we often hear about companies, right? That's they're, they're really big. They can't grow anymore. It's hard to grow when you're that size. And there was a time when Microsoft didn't, but it has undeniably then kind of demonstrated that, look, I don't really care if I'm at the top of this thing. There is room to grow. Uh, the market cap of the S&P will just expand. Um, and you can grow perfectly well from the top end of that as you can from the bottom end of that. Um, this is the kind of thing that kind of keeps me optimistic for some of the stuff that I own that is, you know, quite quite large cap stuff, right? Amazon's a big cap thing by anyone's standard. So is Berkshire Hathaway. People ask questions meaningfully about, well, it's very big. How fast can it grow? It doesn't seem to have troubled Microsoft very much, if I'm honest. Um, it continues to grow pretty darn swiftly for something that has been big and back in 1998 we would be saying gosh it's very big how fast can it grow from here uh, that kind of thing if we were moved by that thought at all okay paul yeah it's worth uh, it's worth pointing out i think in like the 2000s even even then with 100 pe some stocks had then if you even bought them back then with 115 pe you'd still be up ridiculous amounts today and microsoft one of them stocks in it uh number six number six paul's been writing the numbers down the year is 2006 um so here are some exciting things that are happening uh google has just bought youtube uh in this year um in a move that will delight steve d sort of 15 years later or so uh saddam hussein has been executed in a similarly delighting story uh and i've started going to university for the first time uh on this occasion uh, but what's at the top of the S&P? I couldn't have told you what the S&P was back then, by the way, uh, such as my lack of financial awareness of that time. Uh, is it Apple? Um, is it ExxonMobil? Is it Microsoft? Or is it Walmart? You keep mentioning Walmart. I, I, I don't remember Walmart being at the top of the tree at all. I, that, I mean, some of this is before you were born, in fairness, but yeah. Uh, to be fair, <laughs> some of the answers are wrong. No, I know, I know. It's, it's, it, but but he's been mentioning Merck as well. Merck never makes it to the top. Merck is all, is always there, but it's always in like the bottom four or five. I'm pretty sure uh, of the Paul top. Paul has noticed an interesting feature here. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, um, Paul. Work out what that means. Work out what that means, Paul. I, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I'll tell you at the end. Okay. Um, oh right, I, I I think I'm getting it now. And um, so we got Microsoft or Apple or what was the other one? Sorry. Uh, well, Walmart, but you don't seem and to like the sound of. Uh, or ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil. Oh God, do we have to go with Exxon again? Because it was just massive. It's always been massive. It's always been up there. Uh, and Apple had a pro- had problems going into 2014, so I can't imagine that it was massive at that time. Oh, I'm not going to go with Microsoft again. It can't be Exxon. Go on, Exxon. 
Exxon Mobil, said Paul, before I even asked the first question, actually, for what it's worth, uh, he would have been right if he'd gone for it then. He's gone for it now, uh, and he is correct. Oh, there you go. Well done, Paul. Yeah. Um, I mean, you say Apple can't have been massive. All of these were in that top 10, in fairness. So it wasn't, you know, it was, it was big compared to most things, uh, one way or another. And uh, But you're right. Uh, top of the table was, um, in fact, ExxonMobil in 2006. This was the kind of the time for big oil, um, specifically that big oil. Uh, Steve. Well, I'm getting to the sort of numbers. Where I'm going to get one of these wrong. Three. It's the most Try again, Steve. Thing. Bollocks. Two. It's all right. You, you edit this, Steve. It'll be fine. Uh, okay, two. Um, the year is 1993. Uh, the World Trade Center's been bombed. Waco's been sieged. But Nelson Mandela has won a Nobel Prize uh, in more cheerful news. Uh, what's at the top of the S&P? Is it AT&T, which I also keep mentioning, I think. Uh, Coca-Cola, uh, General Electric, or Procter & Gamble? Oh. Hmm, tough one. I don't know. Is there and a curveball in th- there? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think Procter uh, & Gamble's the curveball there. Hmm. Tell me what you mean by curveball here. I mean, I didn't deliberately write... I don't know if I deliberately wrote a curveball. It depends Ooh. what you have in mind by a curveball. <laughs> I, just, I don't ever remember Procter & Gamble being anywhere Being near. that big? Yeah. No, it, it has been. I just don't remember Coca-Cola being at the top ever. Mm. Don't even remember it being in the top ten, to be honest. I'm going to go for GE. I think that's kind of GE's sort of period. Uh, GE's sort of period? You'd be correct, Steve. Have a point. My first point. <laughs> it is your first point. I did geography uh, at school. I didn't do history. Oh, I see. So if I asked you what was sort of top of uh, the Brazilian exchanges at this point or something, you'd be oh, much yeah, happier. Yeah. Sao Paulo Bank. Yeah, probably. You're probably uh, right. Either that or... <laughs> or um, Interbank. Or yeah, some sort of utility that I probably own, something like that. Okay. Uh, Paul, two numbers remaining. Uh, number four, please, Steve. Number four. Paul's made it out of the uh, out of the number picking round safely. Uh, the year is 2012, um, with a nice recent one. So obviously the, the Olympics are happening in London uh, here. There's a hurricane in the US, and President Obama's just been re-elected again. What's at the top of the S and P, Paul? Is it Apple? Is it AT and T? Is it General Electric yet again, uh, or is it Chevron? <laughs> well, you. 2012 is where Apple was heading into its dip. That was when it was. So 2012 to 2015 is Apple's buy time, right? If you bought in that Apple in that area, you, you're making the most amount of money our generation could probably make out of it. So I don't think it's Apple. Um, there is a year somewhere in there where Chevron makes it to the top, but I don't know if it's 2012. Uh, go on, Chevron. Go on. Chevron says Paul. Steve, oh, this is for the win, uh, the guaranteed win anyway. Uh, Steve, what would you have gone for? I've no idea. AT and T, why not? Oh grief! No, it's not. It's neither of those. It's Apple still. Apple is hasn't it? dipped yet by this point. Yeah, no, I, thought it was, I thought that was its. Uh, fair enough. I mean, it's still growing exponentially since then. Um, but yeah, yeah, five. Yeah. <laughs> Five. Well, well done, Steve. You've got yourself caught back up again. This is to stay in the game, then, and take us to the tiebreaker. 
Uh, and if Paul gives up this kind of uh, lead, having got this far ahead, I'll start calling him Stoneco. But um, <laughs> uh, okay, Steve. The year is 1980. Good luck. Um, John Lennon's just been shot. Uh, the MGM Grand has been destroyed in a fire. Uh, and Paul's favourite company, 3M, have started making post-it notes. Uh, yeah, that happened in 1980. <laughs> um, what's at the top of the S&P, Steve? This for the tiebreaker. Um, AT&T. Exxon. <laughs> uh, again, pre-mobile, but Exxon. General Electric. <laughs> or IBM. <laughs> I have no idea. That I've, is so I've, hard. You know what? I think I've gone for General Electric twice, and I think I've been wrong both times. So, General Electric, hit me with that right answer. <laughs> oh, thank God for that. We're not doing the tiebreaker. No. <laughs> uh, no, this, back in 1980, if you reach back far enough, that was the year for IBM. Um, oh, really? One um, of the things that Paul noticed is that I kept talking about Walmart quite a lot, with it not being a right answer. The reason is I was running out of kind of unique right answers uh, at various points. Basically, nearly every damn year it was General Electric um, yeah. or Exxon Mobil for, for quite, or Exxon slash Exxon Mobil uh, for some part of it. Um, and I couldn't just write General Electric. I was thinking about having a quiz, to be honest, where every answer was General Electric and see at what point you, you kind of fastened onto that idea. <laughs> um, but a couple of things I took away from the Berkshire meeting, uh, for what it's worth. This is kind of this was inspired by my worrying about buying companies that have huge market caps and how much can they really grow. Um, I mean, looking at some of the stuff that was at the top, uh, ExxonMobil um, was the largest US company back in 1979 when Buffett's talking about... I mean, since then, it's done pretty much fine. It's it's up about four times. It's trailed a little bit, but you would have been okay leaving your money in that. Plus, you would have got a fairly large dividend out of that because the oil industries have always paid uh, a substantial dividend. It would now be yielding about 20% for you on your original um, injection there. Uh, Merck, which was on the list of the top 20 biggest in the world, it's not there now, but it's still done very well. It's kind of six-bagged since then, and also you would have a dividend that's grown really quite strongly in that time, and it would now be sort of fairly attractive. I mean, the kind of takeaway point I took from all of this stuff is that, yeah, okay, so the big stuff doesn't stay at the top uh, forever. But that's because stuff kind of grows fast and replaces them. It's not because they, at least not always, because they kind of desperately underperform. I mean, sometimes they do, right? So General Electric does and IBM did uh, and so on. But it isn't the case that kind of buying something that's massive automatically makes it nearly impossible for you to sort of uh, grow uh, and, and perform pretty well as a company. Yeah, definitely. But if you take IBM, for example, the the earnings are tanking. Like, there's no end in sight for that either. That they are losing market share and they are losing revenue, and it's it doesn't look good for them. And that's a, they are selling can... off divisions, though. That's one of the things you've got to keep, keep yeah. in mind. It's okay seeing them sliding down, but they are slowly spinning off things and selling off bits and pieces. And you know, they then they're not a million miles away from a return to at least. A static business. I mean, they're also growing, uh, attempting to buy things quite a bit as well, from what I see of it. They appear to have acquired something else this week, and it's various kind of software-related things. I'm not best placed to judge how effective they are, but in a low-interest-rates environment, taking on debt to buy stuff might not be the craziest thing in the world for hmm. IBM. It, it just doesn't... I know, I know what you're saying, the spin-offs and stuff, but spin-offs are, are, are barely a good... Uh, a good thing to to see anyway you want to see all of the especially for something like ibm you want to see all of the businesses 
um, still growing. And I, I don't know. It's it, it, the the share price, in my opinion, has been justified on that. I know what you I know what you're saying, and it's it's got a few innovations that, that's got coming, but it always seems to be second best at the moment, and I, I don't like that. It's just it'd be it'd be a lovely one to look at. Uh, for for me but it, it it's just it just doesn't seem to be growing its earnings it definitely doesn't grow its margin either and yeah it's a bit of a problem it, i i feel like it's the prime example you know that one that everybody says to me you know high cash flow high mature businesses don't innovate and don't grow ibm seems to be the example of that for me uh it's the one that people people point out all the time as well but other companies seem to be doing just fine. And like you say, they don't remain at the top forever, but they do still grow. And we just need to consider that. You need to consider that while everyone's focused on all of the high-flying tech stocks and startups at the moment, there may still, we say value is like a dirty word at the moment, but uh, there is still possibility for these big companies for, to grow they're, they're, there's huge possibilities Merck did well recently with its new drug on the on the uh, I forgot what the drug's called um, but yeah uh, that's my two cents on that one right uh, any you, you got anything more on that one at all or have I just preached and and uh, backed up everything that you've said that's pretty much all I had on that I mean when I looked at the kind of Buffett table um, the highest market cap on that was something like 104 billion back then, uh, which means the highest market cap thing now is about 24 times bigger. Over 32 years, uh, going up 24 times, you take that from most things. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so this week we've all been having a bit of a vo- of volatility in our portfolio, some more than others. Uh, it seems like even the stay-at-home stocks didn't do too well, e- even though the new variant of the coronavirus has decided to hit our shores and i think today um it has now hit the u.s shores as well uh so there's going to be a bit of problems with flights and and things like that um what have you got on the new omicron variant and why did we miss out on so many of the other letters of the alphabet before landing on omicron that's a good question, Paul. So, uh, which letters did we miss, by the way? <laughs> uh, we missed G. Uh, we we did miss G. <laughs> G's like the one that stands out, yeah. Uh, which would would which which is where I thought that would go. But we did miss probably five or seven others. Um, Epsilon. Which ones? And, oh come on! You ain't gonna get me to list the Greek alphabet, are you? Uh, so we got. I to don't Delta, think I'm gonna succeed. We? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to Google the entire the entire Greek alphabet. Fine. Sorry, go on, Steve. Well, don't ask me about the Greek alphabet. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but yeah, we we did miss uh, G. Was... G was the one before, so we missed we missed that. Would we like to have caught? I'd like to have called the the newest variant G. Well, there was also new as well as in the NU. That was one that I think we missed. Um, but that, I suppose, calling it the new coronavirus is probably uh, is not the uh, not the best Oof. name ever. But hey, it's it's hitting everybody's shores now, and it, it's very, uh, from what we understand, it's it's uh, it's as transmissible, <laughs> and we still don't know uh, if the vaccines are carrying efficacy against it. So 
it's a strange old time for the markets. I think we we would always tell you that markets don't like uncertainty, and we are getting a little bit of uncertainty, um, and and stocks are falling because of it. Um, there's also obviously um, the most recent um, conference with uh, Yellen and uh, Jay Powell, and he has now decided that this was the perfect time to slip in that uh, inflation is now not transitory. In fact, the only thing transitory about um, about that was his use of the word transitory. <laughs> you so, nicked my um... joke. You massively <laughs> nicked my joke. <laughs> so, so, um, so yeah, I think it was a very good, very good time to do that because you don't want to be responsible for taking the market down, and uh, why not do it when there's a new coronavirus uh, variant about? So, um, again, there's nothing. Uh, we we did get asked a question in the comments on what we thought about it, but really, um, the, the, it's, it's all about staying in your seat. We don't know anything about this. It's pointless to speculate, and we don't know what's going to happen. So for me, it's just a case of um, let's sit and watch. And I guess that's all we can do with these things, right? Uh, inflation's coming. Inflation is a good thing. Usually it shows that the country is uh, growing. Uh, people generally are buying more things and that raises prices. And it's a good sign for any country to have their inflation go up at a steady pace. The problem is when it comes out of line with wages and people can't afford the just the regular consumable things. And... Have you been feeling the squeeze at all on on you know day to day goods at all? Have you? Been, I know you've been buying a lot of things recently, like mattresses and stuff. Are, are we really at that point now where it's? It, you guys are rich, so like it doesn't really probably won't affect you in your <laughs> your day to day lives. <laughs> I mean, the, the price of mattresses doesn't usually affect my day-to-day life. I'm not particularly <laughs> trading mattress futures or anything like that, uh, trying to get uh, rich or anything of that sort. Um, but I, I haven't yet really felt a squeeze on this. I suspect where I'm likely to feel it, um, and there's been a bit of volatility in this kind of area as well, is in energy prices. Uh, I notice that natural gas prices have been moving a little bit as forecasts for winter kind of improve in terms of being uh, warmer. But um, I am expecting some fairly substantial heating bill stuff. I haven't noticed it much at the level of consumer goods just yet. And in fact, what I've mostly been seeing in my kind of uh, paying attention to earnings reports and stuff is increasingly uh, companies struggling to push through that level of uh, inflation at the level of consumer goods. Um, Kellogg's has been saying we can't push that kind of inflation. We can push some price hikes through, but we can't push the kind we're talking about here, uh, sort of 6% or so. Same with Unilever, uh, same with nearly every um, company from what I can see of it. They, they might raise prices a bit, but they can't raise them enough to kind of keep running with that level of inflation because, well, I'm not sure quite what brand I fancy so much uh, that I would um, take a price hike of that sort from them when everyone else isn't. Hmm. I was just going to say, Paul, it's not an air mattress, so I don't, I don't need to inflate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well done. Um, so, it. interestingly, I watched the Costco um, um, earnings talk. Costco is one of those stocks I really, really like to um, watch and never buy. Um, but they're really interesting because the, um, the analyst seemed like he was a bit new to the game and he turned around to um, the Costco CEO's name escapes me at the moment and said um, well you'll be passing the cost of inflation on to your customers and he rather angrily looked back at the camera and was like we're Costco, that's not what we do do you know what I mean? <laughs> Costco's, all of Costco's money is made from uh, the, the membership 
none of Costco's money is actually made from selling you anything. Um, they're pretty much sort of cash neutral on on that kind of thing. Um, the rest, all the money comes from, you know, the fact that people pay a, a monthly fee to be part of the or yearly fee to be part of the Costco club. So um, yeah, that was quite an interesting uh, interesting topic. They're another company that obviously aren't even going to bother trying to pass uh, inflation back on. But the longer it sticks around, the more likely customers are going to have to bear the brunt of it. But at the moment, I but- think. Quite a lot of companies are only passing minimal amounts on. But still, uh, surely Costco have to pass on. Uh, they surely they have to pass on a bit of inflation still. But they do it through their membership price, don't they? Uh, so they they will have to raise the prices to to the cost of cost of goods. But then they would have to raise their membership prices to stay profitable. Surely. So, yeah, I mean, he had a reasonable price, but like you say, he's not going to try and make, he's, he's, he's not going to loss lead. Surely not. The, I'm not. I'm not sure you've been in a Costco before, but basically it's the sort of shop where you buy your uh, baked beans in 10 kilo cans. Yeah. So, um, whereas having like a thousand cans uh, of, of beans, obviously if the steel price goes up, you've got to pass quite a lot of the cost of that onto it. If you're buying a key, like 10 kilos of beans, you don't have to pass as much of the steel inflation cost on. So Costco is quite shielded from inflation in a kind of weird way because of the sort of bulk, the bulk way in which they purchase. And uh, I understand from looking at them for quite a while that they've got a very, very good buying department that's very, very good at screwing down suppliers because they've mm. got to be the cheapest. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one thing I I kind of note here is I've never tried buying a ten kilo tin of beans for what it's worth from anywhere. I, I have this vision in my head of Steve attempting to get the lid off a ten kilo tin, uh, but I mean, all of my food arrives from Gusto, and I haven't noticed any inflation through there for what that's worth. Uh, they they offer you some really excellent things that don't come from Costco. Uh, probably have an enormous margin on them, but they're well worth it because there's some excellent excellent products there. I was looking at their Christmas menu uh, just recently. Link in description for if you want a referral link. Sorry, hang on. Paul, someone signed up. Did they? Someone oh, did sign up. Wow. Yes, yeah. Uh, thank you, whoever that is. Um, nice. I, I hope you enjoy your whatever it is uh, appalling Christmas burrito that they're offering out at the moment. More on that in another <laughs> podcast. I've, I've got just, that. I've got that lined up for the Christmas episode. He's just he's just sold it on, and that's that's brilliant. Oh yeah, for the Christmas episode, that's what you get. Sure, we'll have a Christmas dinner on on, on the podcast. That'd be quite fun. But yeah, um, so uh, yeah. So, any changes to your to your portfolios, or are you, are you making? Are you going to react in any way to this news of inflation or the new variant? Are you going out and you're buying Carnival cruises and national tankers and uh, Peloton? <laughs> No, not because of this. I, mean, I noticed even this news didn't really help Peloton out. The idea they might have another round of people being shut in their houses, glued to their clothes areas, wasn't uh, enough to kind of really help this stock rally in a particular way. That's not to say I haven't been doing anything portfolio-wise, but what I've been doing has been a kind of reaction to individual earnings reports and price movements that have come off of those, uh, rather than sort of broader macro things. I also thought, by the way, the timing of the Powell announcement was quite interesting. It strikes me as quite close after it had been confirmed uh, that Biden was going to nominate him for uh, the the role at the Fed again. Um, so having said nothing about this beforehand, uh, discovering that, oh, yes, I will indeed have a job in the future. OK, fine. Right. Inflation's out of control. Uh, we need to calm this down. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to uh... Zimbabwe. <laughs> I'm still employed. Now we can tell the truth. Uh, because um, 
he was in contest contention for with about five other people, but everyone focused on this woman for some reason. I don't know her name. I, I didn't pay enough attention to the articles, but she, her face popped up a lot of time, and she was she was apparently the one that was destined to raise interest rates immediately and cause all sorts of problems to the market. And as soon as as soon as Powell got got uh, nominated again that's it the markets went for a for a bit of a cruise didn't they uh why why are we having this effect why is this market just going so mental all the time it's a good question i mean it's only a kind of bit of tapering they're sort of talking about a little bit but it is the first signs of stuff i mean whatever you think of powell he has been attempting to reassure the market since the worst of the crisis and you might think that was a good thing you might think it was a bad thing you might think it was over the top you might think it should have done more but he has been doing a good amount to try and reassure markets. But now he says the economy is very strong and inflationary pressures are high. It's therefore appropriate, in my view, to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases, which we announced at our November meeting, perhaps a few months sooner. Uh, so they're speeding things up a little bit as a result of inflation. Um, I'm not so sure that this is um, such a problem for a lot of the companies here, but um, I guess if you're the kind of company that was hoping to do more by raising cheap debt, I kind of think hasn't every company that wanted cheap debt raised it by now? Oh no, there's plenty more to come if you want it. There's plenty more to come. But uh, according to the minutes of the meeting, apparently there was a, a little snippet of interest rates. So are we now thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking about raising interest rates, or are we thinking about thinking about? raising interest rates how close do you think we are and when do you think we'll see it go on predict predict on something that's massively unpredictable get your crystal ball out i think soon i think um it comes with the territory doesn't it if they can't get inflation back down if they start to see inflation continue to creep up interest rates have to come up as well i'm afraid um and then companies can start to get into all sorts of trouble really quickly especially those with uh about 300 billion of debt in the telecoms industry um so mind you they're all right they'll just spin off another arm and send it with another 80 billion of debt um <laughs> <laughs> just be called at the and t that'll go somewhere else um mm. but yeah i think i think it will happen soon i'm not so sure it'll happen in the uk soon i don't really see the same sort of issues over here i am definitely not done as much quantitative easing um the, the Eurozone has, and that'd be interesting to see how they react. But, um, and I mean, Japan have been doing it for about 40 years, so um, who knows how they react. But yeah, I think America definitely, I think we'll see an interest rate rise uh, sooner rather than later. Lovely stuff. Okay, uh, should we move on to uh, something we haven't done in quite a while? And uh, it's like a stock of the week. We've been, with all this these bargains going on, with loads of crazy crazy drops in the market you guys have pulled out one which you kind of like the look of at the moment or at least might be it might be an interesting one what are you pick this week um we picked big tech salesforce um, um they had some pretty interesting earnings i've, I've got them in front of me so i'll uh, i'll just quickly uh, quickly throw them out to you but um it was at the end of their q3 they're really odd i mean we, we were talking about this just before we came on air and they're Q3 2022 going into full year 2023, even though we're not in 2022 yet ourselves. Um, but yeah, it's just the odd way in which they report. But um, they reported non-GAAP EPS of $1.27, which was a beat by $0.35. Cents. GAAP EPS of um, $0.47, cents, which was a beat by $0.50. Cents. 
Uh, revenue of 6.86 billion, which is 26.6% year-on-year increase, was a 60 million beat. Um, full-year guidance was 26.39 billion to 26.4 billion. Now that is bloody close. That's it's fairly accurate. Um, 24% year-on-year increase, which for a company the same the size of Salesforce is really really impressive. Um, the street wanted 26.34, so so it's way above. Um, they gave a bit on operating margin guidance, 1.8%. Non-GAAP operating margin to be about 18.6%. Uh, Full-year operating cash flow, they reckon it'll be 18 to 19% growth. Uh, and then they gave full-year 23 guidance, revenue guidance of 7.215 uh, billion in the first quarter, uh, which would mean another 21 to 22% year-on-year, which obviously when you're thinking about the comps, it's fairly tough for Salesforce. Um, full year gap operating margin uh, of three to three and a half percent, and non gap of about twenty percent. So these are all fairly positive things. Uh, the next day, the shares fell eleven percent. Um, so that was interesting enough for me. I jumped straight onto that and uh, filled my pockets full of Salesforce, and uh, I couldn't really see an awful lot not to like. Anything you guys have got? So I saw that the guidance for Q4, or what we would call Q4, the end of this coming uh, quarter seemed to be sort of reasonably low uh, for some reason. They're, so their EPS guidance seemed to be kind of uh, towards the lowish end. It's 72 cents or uh, 73, uh, something along those lines. That hmm. seemed to be kind of lower than you might think. I'm not sure that's particularly the worry here for Salesforce at the moment. Revenues look pretty good, but that was the only thing I saw that was uh, maybe just weighing on stuff a little bit. The um, the thing about Salesforce is it's one of those big, big companies which still kind of looks like it, it kind of gets pushed out into the market as still quite a little company, you know, but it is. It's now one of those companies that has transformed from a startup, you know, it, it owned... Uh, I think Quip and obviously Slack it owns now, which is, um, I've never used that at work, but I hear so many people talk about uh, using that at work. It's this big, big tool that they use and it's now progressed into that mature, mature growth company and eventually it will slow down. I just don't know when and I don't know uh, how much cash it's going to keep producing. But when you, when you see something like Salesforce, is it... What what's Salesforce's moat when you when you now you've gone and buy bought Salesforce? What what do you consider its moat to be at the moment? Switching cost um, is what I kind of see with these things. If they get entrenched somewhere, and I think they're at about thirty three percent market share at the moment, it's going to be really hard for people to get out of that. From what I was seeing with IT managers, there are pretty good tangible metrics for especially their kind of flagship products, I guess, Sales Cloud. Uh, of how much more efficient it makes your kind of um, the sales arm of your company, it's very difficult for an IT manager to try and just either to get out of that because it's a large cost to try and switch onto a different platform, or even to justify trying to do that uh, when there are sort of measurable and tangible ways in which this is making things better. So I guess in terms of moat, uh, sort of thinking defensively as to what stops someone else coming along and doing this in a different kind of way. I think there's something of a switching cost there uh, that might be kind of hard work for um, Salesforce. I mean, they also have a kind of capacity to cross-sell things in a certain way and uh, hook people onto other clouds and other um, products that they have. But the big one for me seems to be switching cost is what I can see of it. Steve? Yeah, switching cost is what I got as well. Um, it gives them a 
pretty wide economic moat because they get the tendrils and absolutely everything um and then they keep buying products and bolting them onto the service and yeah. you start using them as well and you uh, you end up with salesforce running the vast majority of your company and then to swap away from that to introduce a new piece of software even to sideload a new piece of software is really really difficult and the fact of the matter is is that for the vast majority of people salesforce really works um, there's no incentive to swap at the moment, especially when companies like Slack are getting bought up, although that, that seems to be very overpriced. I think $28 billion seems like probably about $20 billion too much. Um, the Tableau was also expensive, I think, of about $16, $17 billion, but it really does show you that Salesforce is focused on uh, keeping keeping improving, keeping building, perhaps at 30% of, uh, I think, is it 20% of CRM um They've got 20% market share in the CRM. Perhaps that's getting towards the sort of top of where it could be in the market when you think you've got your SAPs and your Microsofts and what have you to, to compete against. Um, it, it's kind of an, uh, an interesting point now. Plus, you know, not everybody needs a CRM as well, I think, uh, is another sort of interesting, interesting point. But they may not have a lot of organic growth left, but what they do have is some really good bolt-ons at the moment which starts the acquisition style growth alongside so not not a massive fan of growth by acquisition but salesforce on this occasion is like the exception to the rule because the stuff they buy is really high quality they bolted on and they just make the service better for everybody yeah glad you mentioned bolt-ons that was where i was gonna, that was the question i was going to ask you next how how does uh how does Salesforce reel, reel people into the uh, to to staying on board? And obviously, you mentioned the switching costs there. Um, has I I disagree with you on the fact that everybody doesn't need a CRM. I I think everybody does, and I I think there's even a position here in the future for non businesses to have some form of CRM. I can see in the future. I know we're talking metaverse and things like that for Salesforce to be your own personal assistant as just, just as you, the human on Facebook, on LinkedIn or anything like that and have some form of uh, customer service software to you as a person. And even, even right down to the smallest businesses, even my businesses have a basic CRM software, which invoices people and uh, gathers leads and things like that. But I, I even think that something like Salesforce could even go down to the point if we go real long-term metaverse thing, but this is just me making stuff up at the moment um, of, of going and being a personal CRM service. And I, you, you say that's, that, that's uh that's a bit pie in the sky, but we're in this world where we can just make up anything that we see in the future. And, and that was one of the places I saw for Salesforce going, going forward. Um, but like you say, acquisition by growth has been a big part of their business cycle. Is there anything that you can see that Salesforce can continue to do to maybe have some form of organic growth? Or is it just going to be more buying uh, different companies to, to strengthen their moat and, uh, I, I don't ever see them being a monopoly of any of, of sort, but they they do definitely have that that uh, moat of them pretty much being the best customer service software out there. So, do you see any other way they can grow organically? It depends a little bit on what you have in mind by organic growth. So, I think the top line is going to slow uh, a little bit. So, if you think about the level of revenue for the moment, their um, their growth rate over the last twenty years is about fifty percent or so, which is Ridiculous in the last 10 years, it's slowed to about 29. 
I think I see that slowing quite a bit. There will come a time when that slides below 20 and then down to sort of 10 and so on. Uh, I don't want to sound like I'm going back to this big companies can't grow that fast idea. I'm only saying it can't grow at 50%, uh, basically. Um, But what I do think is that a company like this tends to be fairly well operationally levered. In other words, as their kind of um, revenue goes up, so does their margin. Uh, And I would expect to see growth at the kind of uh, bottom line, the earnings line, uh, coming through organically fairly well uh, as this kind of continues. So I'm thinking this has a fair way to go in terms of kind of bottom line earnings. It's kind of priced like that, to be honest. It's on about 50 times next year's earnings, so you would hope for for reasonable growth prospects there. Um, but I think I can see better kind of organic growth on the on the earnings line than the revenue line. I'll just so, have yeah. a really quick look on uh, Gosto there, Paul, um, just while, while Steve was talking. And... Uh... 89, 89% of people who work at Salesforce would recommend it to a friend and 96 pe- uh, 96% of staff um, are in favour of Mark Benioff as well. So obviously the people who work there really, really like working there. I don't know whether you guys have ever come across Salesforce 111 model. It's quite an interesting um, model in business. So basically they, <clears throat> as a business, they, um, they pledge away um, 1% of their time one percent of their product and one percent of their resources they give it all away so at at, um at salesforce say you work a 40 hour week every month you can take one percent of all all that time that you work there and you can do anything you want with it you can go and work in a bar you can go work for a charity you can you know sit at your desk and develop something you, you want um you know really really interesting business and i think obviously that there would give um employees at salesforce are lots of fulfillment um and it's obviously something that salesforce tries to get everybody else to pledge one percent as well um so one percent of the profit one percent of the time and they give away their product one percent of the time as well so uh, really interesting little model that's um pretty yeah it's salesforce famously has a very good Glassdoor uh rating but uh mark benioff is is he is he gonna be there <laughs> like any anymore is he because uh, I have a feeling he's getting replaced pretty soon. Is he a, a founder? Is he founder-led? Founder, chairman, and CEO, yeah. Yeah, so mm. he's... Well, founder, he's... chairman, and now co-CEO, right? True, true. Yeah, um, so, so he's stepping Taylor away. Is, um, yeah, Brett Taylor's been promoted to co-CEO. I think this is probably part of Benioff um, winding down. I think he's probably going to head down the sort of philanthropic route that we see a lot of sort of billionaire founders eventually drop off and, and go and do Brett Taylor. Um, he's a, he's a bit of a much of a muchness kind of leader in the, in, in, in the same sense. He spearheaded the Slack and the Tableau um, acquisitions. Um, so, you know, he's, he's an interesting guy to have alongside Benioff. Benioff says he has no intention of retiring, but I assume he'll be gone within two years. And um, <laughs> we'll, we'll just have to see, um, see what goes on from there. I think this is a babysitter type CEO kind of thing. They co- they're going to sort of test this new guy, this new Brett, because I think he's quite young or something. Um, I think they're going to test him. And if they don't like him, they'll just sack him off and keep Benny off there as, as, the, as the chair. This is kind of a babysitter type uh, role. Interesting idea. I mean, they've tried the co-CEO structure before uh, and it ended in the way you describe, uh, Paul, the co-CEO yeah. um, 
isn't there anymore and isn't anything to do with the company anymore i don't think anyway um it'll be interesting to see how this goes you're right in that um brett taylor is about 10 years younger than benioff I, i'm not quite sure how old benioff is actually but uh, i heard brett taylor was sort of 10 years younger maybe this is a way of kind of trialing someone in this um area but i'm encouraged by steve's observation that he's behind the uh the slack acquisition for what it's worth i mean if you think most of salesforce's growth will have to come by acquisitions and bolt-ons and so on you are effectively betting on the management to do those acquisitions well and at the right prices and identifying stuff that is going to make a meaningful difference uh to their um top line bottom line wherever it is so um i guess that's an encouraging sort of sign uh that it's someone who's been involved with the acquisitions before okay and just had a quick look for you benioff's 57 um just start okay. of interest so it's not he's probably getting towards it's the top age young. when you'd think remember benioff remember he built this place in a rented apartment he built built salesforce uh on his own computer in a rented apartment so this guy has been there from the very very beginning um i assume he's probably ready for a, a nice long break <laughs> okay we're kind of winding that down there um we didn't we had we've probably still got five minutes to just uh shit on jack dorsey a little bit so um speaking of ceos that are moving around jack dorsey has just left twitter and uh probably taking up the full-time role on at square right now which has also changed its name um, where do, where do we start? This is just a quick five minutes on Jack's Odyssey because I don't think there's a lot. I don't think there's a lot to this one. Uh, so it's not Square anymore. It's it's Block, um, which is an interesting uh, interesting new name. I, I like the fact that they put all the management team and and put them all onto cubes as well. That was that was very <laughs> interesting and looked very odd. Um, but it, it, basically, the idea is that he now wants them to be more affiliated with the blockchain, which. Uh, we'll see. It does seem a little bit gimmicky, but for what know, it's we'll worth, right? Goes. For what it's worth, I actually sat on the toilet and had to think about this name change. And I, I sat down there and went, "Okay, so what was Square and what is Block?" And obviously, you can make you can immediately make the assumption that they've they've changed the name because it's uh, trying to be the blockchain. But also, it's, uh, it's symbolic in the in the sense. Of, and everything with Jack Dorsey is symbolic. Let's remember this. Uh, it's symbolic in the sense of saying that fiat currency, which Square was, which is a, a, its a original, uh, Square's original process has all been through fiat uh, currency, was two-dimensional. And now you're moving into a three-dimensional world. You're, you're creating a whole new dimension by moving into the blockchain. And I was like, eh, I should be Jack Dorsey. <laughs> you got nothing to say about that that's brilliant i'm trying to find the morning brew take on it morning brew for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what it is is a really really good um daily email to sign yep. up for you get it popped in your inbox it's usually about sort of 10 paragraphs on um all the various things that are uh happening currently in the world and it's kind of like a really quick up to speed before you get to uh you know, before the before the market opens, and they came up with an absolutely cracking line, which may have to may have to fit somewhere in the description because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But they've been making square and block and Twitter puns for the last week. Um, <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna have to find it and pop it in. Uh, I just can't so, find it. <laughs> so okay, so breaking this down, what 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 does it mean for Square? Because I think this ultimately could be bad for Square because it's changing its name at a time where it's just starting to get recognised in the space of 
personal payments and and business payments as well so now all those people who just got used to getting this new square thing this new little uh pay thing at the front of their store now it's changing to block and i feel like it's gonna have a bit of a, a it's gonna have a bit of a turbulent time dealing with that and you really need to understand square to buy into it and then uh, I, f- I feel like it's a bit of a shame a great place for paypal to capitalize maybe uh but what does it also so w- what do you think this is going to do for square is it going to do anything is this all gimmicky is it like a cyber truck um kitty car or something like that is it all gimmicks it's impossible to know, isn't it? It's just impossible to know what, what the idea is. He, he's left Twitter. He's obviously decided, like everybody's been telling him for the last five years, that he needs to concentrate on one or the other. He can't be the CEO of two massive companies. One of them was blatantly suffering. The other one uh, perhaps wasn't suffering as much. And uh, he's taken the advice. He's gone to um, he's, he's gone to focus on, on, on block and... Uh, has, be, has, has left the 13th Indian CEO, I think, in the S&P 500, which is really interesting at the moment. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting move. I just, I just don't, I don't understand the guy. He's very, he's almost eccentric. Like, Elon is eccentric and you can sort of get on board with it, but Jack Dorsey is eccentric in the sort of, like, you think perhaps he's on crack cocaine. Yeah, insufferably eccentric mm. uh, to mm. a point. And I think that's why people hated him and why they hated him at Twitter, which is the next place. What's this going to do for Twitter? Which is probably what's most important. Well, I mean, in the case of Twitter, um, this is a stock that is kind of fairly routinely mocked among people who mainly look at sort of share prices and in fairness, they have some sort of justification. So, I mean, it IPO'd in... 2013 at around $41. Uh, when I looked earlier today, it was trading at $42. Uh, that's quite a long time to be holding a stock for, to have it increased by that much. It doesn't pay a dividend uh, for what it's worth. Now, um, as people always say when their favourite stocks start going down, uh, watch the company, not the price. Uh, and there's some truth to that thought. And under the hood, Twitter's revenue has grown, uh, and so on and so forth. But I was aware that... Um, we sometimes hear about activist investors at places like Glaxo, like Intel and so on, complaining, why hasn't this share price gone up? Um, and both Glaxo and Intel pay fairly significant dividends uh, for what it's worth. And Twitter doesn't. The idea that there weren't activist investors around Twitter uh, asking some similar sort of question of, you know, this is a biggish deal of a company. It's all over uh, in the news and so on a lot. Why can't this share price move further up somehow uh, strikes me as unlikely. And I think I heard Elliot Management, the kind yeah. of Glaxo agitators, were into this uh, as well, yeah, which maybe I'll... means it's a, a not bad time to move off. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure it has had a bit of activist investor um, interest very recently. I think uh, I don't know if it was Elliot Management. Uh, I'm kind of Googling that at the minute. Just while you're Googling it, then I found it. Morning Brew tweeted, Jack should have named Twitter Square because he was never around. (laughs) 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 So they've just been releasing that. Yeah. They've they've literally been memeing nonstop. So Elliot Management are actually uh, praising themselves for being the reason that Dorsey's left. Uh, okay so i'm in the right so, kind of area there then yeah 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 i i did i uh, probably about a year ago i did see that they that they jumped on board and obviously he's 
Sky G has been doing it as well. He's been writing letters and stuff, and he's very vocal about it. I think he'll consider this as a big win for him as well. But it made sense. It does make sense. Like, say, if you quote Scott Galloway, it's, you know, he's a part-time CEO that pays no attention to it and doesn't even love it, as far as they can tell. And uh, I don't know if anybody saw the little post I put on Discord today of him, uh, like, basically just answering the two sales calls from from square and and twitter and how much uh he prefers square uh, it's just yeah it's a it's been a big thing so hopefully i what i expected what i expected is once this news has come out with if you were invested in twitter once this news came out i, w- I was expecting to see a massive shoot up in price but i think it might have even lost uh money on the news um, it certainly didn't go parabolic like I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be huge news for Twitter, uh, him leaving. But they, it, I don't know who they've put in place. Um, Paragag, Parag- Is it Agrawal? Ag- yeah. Agrawal, yeah. yeah. Um, never heard of him, so uh, it's going to probably take a lot for him to prove himself. I, I, I know he is. He, he set up... What did he set up in the... Uh, Oh, I, I, be, I should be better at finding my notes, but he set up important parts of Twitter, didn't he? He's been around for a long time. Yeah, I think he's their chief technical officer, or was their chief technical officer, and maybe that yeah. kind of promotion from within thing uh, is kind of uninspiring. They might have been hoping for, I don't know, someone with a, a kind of distinctive vision. I mean, I would urge giving Agarwal time, right, on this sort of thing, but um, it, it's not a super, super exciting appointment. I think yeah, I remember but I think now, Twitter is it, a good company. I think Twitter has yeah. always had the opportunity to make a decent amount of money. It's just never ever reached that potential. So perhaps now is the time that Twitter starts to reach its potential. So yeah, the, what I, from what I remember from an article I was reading earlier, I'd never be able to find it in this quickly. But um, they they said that Parag, Parag is much more into the free speech than Jack Dorsey was. So they're kind of expecting a bit more back to the free speech side Racism. less yeah well this is it isn't it it's that it you could call it toxic couldn't you so but that's a, they're, they're saying that's a reason why twitter hasn't hasn't grown because um of all the banning fiascos that it's d- done and yeah, so it can be a bit of a toxic place can't it i i don't really see it on fintwit i feel i see a lot of dunking and a lot of um a lot of joking and a lot of memes on FinTwit, but I don't really get into any other parts of Twitter. I don't really see any other sides of Twitter. I'm taking it. That's a pretty dark place. FinTwit is um, is like when the market's green, everyone's friendly with everybody. When the market's red, they just they just all go and attack, and they all get really easily offended. Like somebody made a joke about Upstart, and then like four of the like really popular FinTwitters were all fighting over Upstart, and you're just like, come on, guys. Yeah, I know. Like it's just uh, just arguing over the internet, isn't it? Well, there you go. That's our take on Jack Dorsey and Twitter. We did. A, we managed to keep that to ten minutes, so that's all right. Thank you very much, uh, everyone, for watching and listening this week. If you are listening on our podcasts on Spotify or whatever, hopefully we're your number one. I know for something like seventy-six people, according to Spotify, this week we are number one, and uh, eleven people watched on their birthday or listened on their birthday which that must be you you need a better life mate you need to um get (laughs) (laughs) well done paul (laughs) (laughs) Uh, paul wonders why uh, the podcast isn't growing (laughs) 
Gonna call him Paul Dorsey now. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul doesn't wonder why the podcast isn't growing for that, for that, for what it's worth. But yeah, um, thank you for listening to us on your birthday. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, leave us a five star review for listening on your birthday. Cheers for that. And if you're on um, YouTube uh, and watching us on YouTube and seeing us do these stupid things online, um, feel free to. Uh, to uh, give us a like and subscribe and if you feel like asking us a question or just want to know something about us leave a question in the comments and we'll usually answer that in the midweek footsie which is our shorter midweek video that we do thank you very much for watching and listening and we will see you next week I'm amazed how many people own stocks I'm amazed how many people own stocks. The sucker's going up.